The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Good day, Voice America listeners, and welcome to Strategies and Solutions, Taking on the Challenges with Dr. Sean. Dr. Sean, that's me, and I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. Absolutely beautiful day, very cold outside, so I hope you're all bundled up or you have a nice cup of coffee. You're probably getting ready to start your day. It's my great pleasure to talk with you today and to share my thoughts and experiences with you in taking on some of your challenges while celebrating many of your successes. You know, we often emphasize our problems and we don't tend to celebrate the so many successes that we have in life. Our emphasis on this program is to always be reassured that there are answers to our toughest situations. And we all deal with a lot of tough ones. Even when we think there are not any answers out there and we've totally exhausted ourselves in trying, there are successes that can, be hap- that can happen. We never know what the world's going to drop on our doorstep, and we all need to feel a sense of connectedness in our strife to survive. You know, there's a therapeutic tool, and it's called universalism. It's the idea that the more that we share our situations with others, the more we find that we're not alone in our struggles, and that there's a millennium of human experience out there that has so much to offer us. It's so tough when we feel that we're all alone, when we feel that we don't have somebody to turn to, a group of people to talk with. The goal of the show is to try and give you some of that so that you have a feeling of success behind you and that together with positive problem solving as our focus, I really believe we can better understand our situations and move towards success. You know, we might even begin to see some of our problems as lessons in life that help us to better interact and relate in our world. It reminds me of a story, and which, by the way, on this show, you're going to hear lots of stories. It's like the best way that I have found to relate information to groups of people, teachers, parents, and I find that it's a way to really relate concepts. So a parent came to me about five years ago and said, you know, I really want to help my son of 13. He's hurting his sister every day. And I asked her, what seems to bring on these interactions? And she told me that when the sister is playing make-believe stories, she always ends her play with, and they lived happily ever after. This was the trigger. The trigger was her play. 
her brother would become very upset by just hearing her say, and they live happily ever after. Now, I went to the home to observe what was going on, and upon my arrival, I met a small teenage boy with very thick eyeglasses who looked up at me and said, you're here because I hit my sister, right? And I replied, well, I did come by to see what was going on, and he turned for me and said, liar, and walked away. I thought, oi, what do we, what have, what have we got ourselves into? Mom, soon after, greeted me at the door and said, see, see how he is? He's that way to everyone. He thinks everyone is lying to him. I began to observe the family, and for a few days, and during my third visit, the sister, Maybell, started playing with her princess dolls. Her brother, Adrian, was in another room. As she continued to play, he began to walk by her room and say, don't say it, don't say it. Perplexed, I kind of continued to watch. About five minutes later, he returned with the same stare and the same statement, don't say it. Then all of a sudden, the mother came running and said, Adrian, you stop bothering her. She's going to say it, he said. Say what, the mother yelled. She'll say, and they all lived happily ever after. Mom began questioning loudly, so what's wrong with that? And Adrian replied, it's too late for me. Mom said, too late for what? And Adrian said, to live happily ever after. I saw that movie, Rain Man, and that's me. He lived in a hospital and he watched TV his whole life. I don't want her to lie. They don't all live happily ever after. Adrian had very little friends, very little interactions. And as we know, quite often a lot of our kiddos with autism and various developmental disabilities don't get invited to parties, don't get invited out to movies, don't get invited to the same playthings that our typical developing kids might get invited to. So he had no friends and he was afraid that he would be left totally alone. After meeting with him a few minutes, he told me that what he really wanted was two things. He wanted to go to a movie and he wanted to go to Magic Mountain with a friend. Well, going to a movie or a theme park is easy, but making friends, that's different. One of our teammates was assigned to work with him. And sometimes, you know, we'll have a, uh, a person that is there as a very staunch behaviorist working alongside of a family. And sometimes the person just needs a benefactor. Sometimes the person just needs a person to put their wing around the, the kid and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. You're going to do fine. It doesn't have to be somebody that has years and years of, of education and many licenses. It, it has to be somebody who, who cares and respects the person. So one of our teammates was assigned to work with him and a role of a big buddy to help remind him of socially acceptable behaviors. One day, the staff member and kiddo were at the Huntington Library for a field trip and were inside the exhibit on printmaking. There are a series of old children's books there and there were kids staring into the glass case. A child who was about 11 stood next to Adrian and said, I love that book. Now the kiddo was actually talking to his mom, but Adrian answered, what book? And the child said, the story of Cinderella. It was an old print of, of Cinderella. Adrian started to become a bit agitated. Why do you like it? The kiddo Adrian said, because it ends happy, the kid said. 
Adrian said, everything doesn't end happy. And the child said back, no, everything doesn't end happy. My grandpa just died, but he was so happy when he was here. Adrian said that, Adrian said, but he had died. And the kid said, yeah, but we had fun together. And that's what makes things happy. Adrian said to the child, it's too late for me to be happy. And the kid said right back, I'm happy to be here. Are you? Adrian said, yeah. And the kid said, yeah, well, see, then it's never too late to be happy. That concept of it's never too late to be happy is so important for us to think about on this show. So commonly, we feel that we're at our, the end of our rope. We have no direction to go. We're feels like people are working against us and not with us. And we don't know where to turn for support. But we can always know that things can end happily. And they, there's never a time when it's too late. See, that's the goal of what we call in total programs. And that, by the way, is my business. And I'll talk about it in a little while. But that is the goal, is to become a warrior helper, or what's known as a bodhisattva. And we want to help families and individuals. Now, the bodhisattva is not somebody who's a change agent. This concept of change agent makes things very difficult. It puts a tremendous amount of responsibility on everybody to change everything all the time. And our goal is not to change, but to help the person get through a good life. The idea of behaviorism, the idea of special education, all of these things are about social validity. The idea of social validity is what makes your life good? What can we do to make your life better? It's not about decreasing behavior so behaviors go away or increasing one behavior so that you're happy. It's about having a quality of life so that you can be successful. And the people that are supporters of people with disabilities, people who are having learning challenges, people that are having parenting challenges, these are the bodhisattva. This is the idea. This is the warrior helper. And this is what we try and put out there when we're training our staff, when we're working with families, when we're working with teachers, so that they feel a sense of being that warrior, but knowing that they're going to go into a situation every day, and it's going to be pretty tough. But they're going to come out of that situation with some levels of success, and they're going to come back the next day knowing that it's tough. And that's the warrior in them. Hey, by the way, Adrian and the friend that he had met, Sam, did go to Magic Mountain together about a year ago. And apparently afterwards, they went back to Sam's house and they watched the, an old movie, The Princess Frog, which ended, by the way, and they all lived happily ever after. It was so important for Adrian to be able to connect with Sam and to know that he wasn't alone, that he wasn't out there by himself. Again, this concept of universalism is something that we'll share as the show goes on over the next 13 weeks, and maybe we'll see if the show continues after. What we want to do is put that sense in you that there are other people that have dealt with the same things that you're dealing with, and they can help us. They can help us by being guests on the show. They can help us by calling in and, and discussing their situations when you feel that you are the only one that's dealt with this, you start to feel bad about yourself because you start to think, well, what could I have done differently? What should I have done? 
you know, what should I have done about this? What should I have done about that? And frankly, when people start shooting all over the place like that, I say go get some toilet paper because we should not should so much. Now, of course, that's a bit of a giggle. But the idea is, is that you shouldn't put those kind of things on yourself. You don't have to put shoulds on yourself. You should put on yourself, I'm doing my best. And I'm doing my best as a warrior helper, as a bodhisattva. I am going to be successful. I am going to work through these challenges and I'm going to get help. We never know what our interactions in the world will bring us. The most important thing is to have a strength to enter the the world. It's so hard sometimes just to get up and say, okay, I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to get out there and be successful. We have to constantly remind ourselves that we did have a success. See, our survival in the world, it's no matter what we do to survive, and that could be both our positive attitudes, behavioral issues, antisocial helpers, these things that we do to survive are not our survival. They're not our shame. Excuse me, they're not our shame, but they are our survival. And we need to be very proud of the things that we've done. See, I don't even believe in behavioral problems. I believe that kids have major issues in advocating for themselves and being able to tell one how they feel and what they're thinking about inside, especially if they're very, have difficulty with language. If they can't talk or they have limited words, it's going to be very difficult to express how they're feeling. And you know how it is when you have a bad day is the first thing that you want to do is tell everybody about your bad day. No, you want to be done with it. You want to be over with it. So a kid often is just trying or a person dealing with an issue may be trying to just avoid the issue. What we want to do is give person tools to use and the first tool is to feel successful in something. It's these concepts that we'll talk about and try to learn from on the show. We will cover many issues, some of which I'll bring up on a weekly basis and some that you'll bring when you call in on the show. We're not going to have any call-ins today or any guests today. It's just going to kind of be me on this inaugural show, but we will have guests. In fact, next week, we're hoping to have Mark Woodsmall and his wife, Eva Woodsmall, to discuss. Mark is an attorney here in Southern California and to discuss some of his cases and discuss some of his challenges that he does and what his main focus is. And then they also do happen to have a son that has autism, and I'd like them to discuss some of their family challenges. This is the way we're really going to begin to understand how it is to problem solve for one, and secondly, what it feels like to succeed by hearing it from people, by talking to people. That is when you start to feel that, okay, I'm not alone in this. I can do this. We'll have guests that share experiences and their challenges, but but their triumphs. That is what we want to hear. One of the things that goes on in our special education world is, and in our applied behavior analysis world is something that's called a functional analysis of behavior. And what that does is it looks at the reason why somebody may or may not be acting in a certain way. My goal is to not do the functional assessment around the behavioral issue, but rather to do the functional assessment around what, what goes right. 
how do we know things are going right? How do we know things are working well? If we can do uh, an assessment and look at why somebody's having success, then we can repeat it. There are so many good people out there that we can come into contact with, that we do come into contact with on a daily basis, and I want them to share their thoughts and their tools of strength. You know, this all started for me some years back. I actually started as a paraeducator, a classroom aide, in a classroom in Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, I was 17. Uh, I told them I was 18 because I wanted to start. Um, And those were the days that, you know, you signed up and you showed up for work. Now we have to make sure people are safe and, and we check backgrounds and all that. But then... I I was hired and I worked in a classroom with three third and fourth graders and um, it was one of the most enjoyable years I had. Um, I then later went up to San Francisco and I was honored to work with a little boy with autism in a non-public school. And one of the uh, uh, opportunities families may have is when the, the the school that their child is attending doesn't have the specialized supports that they need, they may choose to look at a specialized school. And there are a lot of them out there, many running very, very good programs. Um, the most successful programs that I've seen are the ones that collaborate and interact with the child's local school. But it's really important to me that a kid goes to school within their community so that they could be part of their community and share their skills and share the things that they learn in their own place. And so whenever I work in a school or whenever I'm working with a kid, my main goal is to make sure that uh, they have the opportunity to interact with people that will help them to be successful and teach them skills that they can use in the outside world, but with people that they know and that they'll see every day as they walk down the street. It's so important for us to feel a connectedness and for us to feel that we are part of our community. One of my biggest programs in total programs is our community integration program where we get kids out and about in the community so that they know what it's like to interact in the world around them, but so that people out in the community know them. Now, I'm new at this radio stuff, and a, a break is coming, so I, I want to start the story about his name was Adam, but I'll start it after the break, and I think what we will do from then is also do a little bit of history of how we got to this place. So soon I'll be back and we'll discuss Adam and what the work I did with him in San Francisco. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. 
Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Okay, well... I got through the first part, first segment. I think I did okay. Uh, the hardest thing is knowing when the breaks occur. So I think I did that okay also. Very happy to have you all back. And we were talking a little bit about some of my background and some of the things that I had done in the past. And what it all started for me when I worked in a public school in San Francisco and was honored to work with a little boy with autism. And we'll call him Adam. Well, Adam didn't talk but he could read any word you put in front of him, and in several languages, as long as it was in the Romance languages. But he didn't say hello to people or acknowledge others around him. So I had an idea, and I was maybe about 22, something like that, and I had been asked to work with him because, quote-unquote, he had major behavioral issues. But what I found was so interesting was that he was able to, to read, now, he, there wasn't a lot of comprehension, though, in the words. It's what we call a word caller. It was a person who's able to read the word but not necessarily know what they're reading about. So my idea was that I would take a uh, – we would sit together every day with a bunch of toys and objects, and I would have this little chalkboard. And what I would do is I would write the name of each thing that he picked up on the chalkboard. And I'd first write my name which is phonetically kind of weird because it's spelled S-E-A-N as Sean. My mother was like in love with Sean Connery, and I was born, I think, after Goldfinger or one of those movies. And so I, as a nice Jewish boy, got a nice Irish name. But he would read that, and after being corrected once, because most people will look at that phonetically and say Cian, 
can't tell you how many times I'd be called seen surf ass. But uh, he, after a couple times of learning that that was Sean, he would read it. He would be prompted to say hello and ask to say hi. And we would do this with each person in the room. There were about six teachers in the room. There were four other paraeducators. And there were six kids. So, or there were eight kids altogether. And so we would introduce ourselves to each child every day. He would say the name of the person and say hi. And then we'd do the same thing with toys. I would write the name. He would say it. And then I would use or play with the toy. See, one of the things that's really important about play-oriented therapies is that there has to be play involved, not a break from the therapy. For instance, in discrete trial training, which is a form of applied behavior analysis that we use quite often with younger kids, but can be used with all ages, breaks tasks down into small little tasks, each of which can be practiced and there could be success over them. The idea of the discrete trial training is that when you are introduced to new concepts, you then share those concepts on the outside. So if you're going to learn different colors in discrete trials, or you're going to learn the, the name of objects, let's say, then let's go out and use the objects. Let's go use the red ball. So it was really important for me that not only would he learn to name the objects, but also he would write the name of those objects and, uh, and know how to use them and know how to use them with somebody else. Okay, so we did this for like a year. And at the end of the year, he would see somebody in the class, name their name, and even say hi sometimes, which was totally cool and absolutely wonderful and was totally what we were looking for. Now, here's the funny thing, and this is where your ego has to go out the door. He never said hello to me, ever. You know, I was kind of just a given. I was there already. He didn't really need to. It was okay. Because he knew I was there all the time, so there was no need to say hi. You know, Adam Adam grew up. He's probably, gosh, in his 30s now. But uh, his mom would call me as he was growing up. And, and I've had the pleasure of having the interactions with lots of, lots of parents over the years. And, um, and, they, and they keep calling. And they, even when their kiddo, I, well, I haven't seen them in years, just to let me know how they're doing. And that's so important because they're reminding themselves of their successes every day. So as Adam is growing up, his mom would call me, which was pretty cool. And she said he was doing pretty darn good. He needed a lot of help in school and in the community, but he was enjoying life, enjoying life. That's what it's about. It's about being having a success so that you can enjoy the life that you live. By the way, their biggest issue the last time I spoke to them was that, and this was, he was in middle school, so he was somewhere between 12 and 14, something like that, and the only issue was that as people came into the classroom or people walked down the hall, he would say hi to everybody. So we almost like overdid the learning. He was able to learn to greet people, but unfortunately, it kind of became a little bit too much. Sometimes we have a, a behavior that we want, but we don't want it as much. We actually call it a differential reinforcement of low incidence of a behavior. We, do, we want the thing to happen, just not so much. 
We want you to say hi to people, but not everybody that you walk by. So, you know, it's an issue, but it's not an issue that he had uh, before he entered the world, you know, seven years before that. And the idea that he's beginning to say hello to people and connect and have an existence in the world. See, I, I think it's really important to look at a person and respect them for who they are. So not to expect high-level things out of everybody immediately. I'm also not one that's into stopping any kind of behavioral issue prior to the uh, uh, figuring out why does that person interact that way. See, I look at behavior like this. I call it a feat, F-E-A-T. The, 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 the F is the functionality of the behavior. Like, what, why do we do it? Am I doing it for attention? Am I doing it to get away? Am I doing it because I need something? And these things can be determined. But the next thing is efficiency, the E. How efficient and easy is that behavior for that individual to do? Is that something that they are able to do with ease or something that takes them a tremendous amount of effort? Because things that take a tremendous amount of effort are not things that people are going to do a lot. Easy stuff is what we tend to, to lean towards. Then there's the A, and this is an affinity. An affinity is a life drive. It's that thing behind you that gets you going in the morning, gets you going through a situation. Well, you know, I might have a kid who is nonverbal, who is unable then to communicate his thoughts and feelings, and he maybe he engages in great amounts of self-injurious behavior, hitting himself. Well, I'm not going to stop that behavior because until I have something else to help him explain or help him uh, uh, communicate the same feelings that he's feeling. I'm not going to move away from that behavior because that may be the only way he's able to express himself to the outside world. And darn it, I'm not going to take away the one thing that ex lets him express himself to the world. But I am going to give him something, another way to express himself. I don't see that the, the hitting of oneself is a, is a negative besides the physical harm that it might cause oneself. I see that it's a person crying out for interaction. And it's so important that we have that interaction. You know, for Adam, yeah, yeah, you know, he was he learned to read words, he learned to greet people. I don't know what he's going to do in the future. Maybe he will be greeting people. Maybe he'll be a greeter at a store. Maybe he'll have that s skill to say hello to people which will then want more people to interact with him. There's something out there in our world called pivotal response training. And people often ask me if we do pivotal response training. And what I explain is that pivotal response training is the idea that if you teach a certain behavior to somebody, it's going to change their world completely. For instance, say we have a kiddo who is not toilet trained. And maybe he's not a kiddo. Maybe he's like 20-something years old. Not a lot of people 
want to interact and change a 20-year-old. Therefore, they're going to avoid that person. They're going to, when they know that it's time for toilet training, oh, all of a sudden they may have something else they have to go and do. They don't want to interact with the person. By getting them toilet trained, now all of a sudden there is a person that they want to interact with rather than a diaper, rather than the toilet training. Because the toilet training and the, and the, and the, the results of the toilet training become everything. They become everything about that person rather than their actual ability to be successful and interact. Now, all of a sudden, people want to interact with that individual because he's, they don't have to deal with the mess. They don't have to deal with, with the, the, the toilet trading issues. That is a pivotal change in that person's life. That's what pivotal response training is about. What we want to do is we want to teach somebody a skill that's going to have a major change in their life. You know, um, I started, I told you guys that I started when I was about 18 as a paraeducator. I then, in my 20s, was a classroom aide at a the school in San Francisco and was there for a couple years. I then... Uh, moved down from San Francisco back to Los Angeles, actually into the Pasadena area, and started working for a school district. But then an opportunity came up to work at a residential center, and this place is called Five Acres, and it's here in Southern California. It's uh, been around over 100 years. It started as L.A. County's first orphanage, but it is a residential treatment center for kids dealing with emotional issues. And I had the pleasure of working with some very, very good people, some of which will be on the show uh, in later weeks. And, and they taught me how to have respect for kids, how to see the bigger goal in life for kids, not just what we call IEP goals and objectives, but life goals. I worked there for several years, and one of my jobs was uh, assessment coordinator. And what that meant was when a kid first came into the residential center, I would have them for about six weeks. And I would try and determine whether or not they were ready for a public school or they needed to be on site in our our non-public school setting. Um, And it also gave me a time to get to know the kid and to reassure them that they were uh, in a new situation. I'm sure that they were scared, but that they were there because we were going to help them. And that we were going to allow them to express themselves, get out those feelings that were going on inside so that we could help them. It was one of the best experiences of of my career because I really did learn how to relate to children. And one of the, after leaving there, I, or actually while I was teaching there, um, I Started school at Cal State Los Angeles to get my master's as a school psychologist. And I finished that after about a three-year program and worked with L.A. County Office of Ed. And the L.A. County Office of Education were the kids that districts had a lot of difficulty with. They didn't know, they didn't have the specialized training to work with some of the kids. And so the kids... In, in a lot of the districts may have been seen as more of problems or issues than as students. So my 
I, I actually had the opportunity to work with 16 different school districts in the West San Gabriel Valley uh, and the East San Gabriel Valley. I worked in the Antelope Valley. I worked all over the place. During that time, school districts would ask me to come and share some of my experiences with autism. We started an autism program, um, a center-based program. Uh, it was one of the first in Southern California. And then we started off-site programs. And we started reading programs and math programs and social skills programs, things that the kids needed to be successful. We spent very little time thinking about how to stop their negative behavior. We thought a lot about how to emphasize their successes, a lot about how to teach them to enjoy their lives. I um, started teaching at the same time and was teaching at Cal State LA um, and have been teaching there for over 20 years. There are very good professors, very good people coming out of that university. Some of the the best teachers, behaviorists that I've seen. Um, my, my wife attended Cal State Los Angeles. She is an art teacher working in Pasadena and uh, has a lot of success on a daily basis with her students, but also with kids with special needs. And it's really important to her that when a kid comes into her class that they're treated just like every other student. They have goals for the class, they have goals to be met, and they're not just there to do arts and crafts or to waste their time. They're there to be successful in their program. And that's, I mean, there's many reasons why I believe my wife is a wonderful person, but as a teacher, she's unbelievable because what she takes on and what she will promote. And this is what I try, I've learned that from her to, to get other teachers to see that the child is a student and has the same needs as every other kid. Um, I continued to work for LA County of Ed for about 11 years and I spent a lot of time in people's homes, parents' homes, kids' homes, learning to really know them, learning to understand them. And um, after I left LA County, I continued to have relationships with those families. And we started working with regional centers, which are a uh, an offspring or a subsidiary of the Department of Human and Health Services. And I started Total Programs. And Total Programs began with uh, myself running around to a lot of houses and, and eventually one other person. So, I'm at my next break time. When we get back, I'll continue a little bit, and then I want to talk a little bit about history and about where, how did we get to where we are. So we'll see you in a couple minutes. Thanks for tuning in. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. 
Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. We all have challenges each and every day. How do you relax and live in a calm state? On Chaos to Calm, we introduce you to the concept of Wrenchway, a path to feeling calmer and happier. Listen Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. I'm so ridiculous. I just love that music that I picked for my show. And the way I picked it is I was uh, about three months ago, I was taking a walk in Northern California and I had this little rhythm going and all of a sudden I started singing Ode to Joy to myself. And so I'm walking along and I thought, you know, this would be a great, great music for the show. Why? Because the show is about joy. The show is about that return to joy. You can have the return to joy. You don't have to be as stressed out as you are. And we're going to do our best to, to help you. So where did it all come from? Why do we do what we do with individuals with exceptional needs, autism, learning issues, behavioral challenges, special needs? Well, for one, because they are all loving and living human beings and they deserve it. Secondly, because we're a humanistic society and we're led by values brought to us in many ways to do what helps people to live good lives. It is a lawful practice, meaning it has to be done by law. But why did the law, why did it become law? Why do we have specialized supports for people with exceptionalities? Well, let me share some of it with you. You know, the idea of disabilities is a, has been a very turbulent history. Disabilities are ideas and conditions, they're syndromes, and they're often a source of, they can be a source of pain and anxiety for families. We want them to be a source of joy and love, but often there's a lot of challenges. Now the idea of mental retardation actually first went, came back all the way back 1500 BC. And though it was hard to define and interpret the pictographs that were seen, there was an individual on a wall that was seen being helped by another individual. And it was the first idea of somebody with a disability because they, there was the absence of a, of a limb. Now, in ancient Egypt, individuals with disabilities were often treated with dignity because here's the thing. The infant mortality rate was so high 
that if you actually made it, people thought, well, you must be touched by God. And if you had disabilities, if you looked different, if you had uh, a, a, a dysmorphic feature, then and, – and you – still lived and still made it, then it was real obvious to the people around you that you must be really close to God. So they wanted to keep you near them. But unfortunately, that was kind of like the last time until our current day where individuals with disabilities were given respect. You know, in ancient Greece and Rome, infanticide, the killing of a child was very common practice. And and you think, oh my gosh, how could they do that? Well, resources were so limited that there was just a different way of thinking. And if this child was very involved, what the family may have seen them as is not as a little baby, but as something, as a punishment that came out. And unfortunately, it kind of stayed that way for a while. The plight of individuals with disabilities has always been kind of dependent on local belief systems. in the second century, it was very commonplace for individuals with disabilities to be sold into entertainment. You know, the court gesture, the person who st- stood by the king often was a little person, a person with dwarfism, and that person's job was to make the king feel better about themselves. So they would often have, not be treated in the greatest way. But with the dawning of Abrahamic and Eastern religions, this led to this decrease in this barbaric practice of infanticide. And in fact, early religious leaders such as Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, and even Confucius all advocated for individuals with disabilities and attempted a more humanistic approach. Confucius actually wrote, developing a moral sense of responsibility towards others to be gentle, kind, and to help those of weak mind. Well, weak mind is the way that he described individuals with disabilities. In the Middle Ages, the treatment varied tremendously. There was an absolute decrease in infanticide, and there was the establishment of fondling homes. Now, this is a very interesting concept because those people were still being sold into slavery, and there was still there was a lot of mistreatment. The Catholic Church started these fondling homes because they want excuse me fondling homes oh, foundling homes because they wanted the children to have some level of of success, some level of opportunity. Now, the way that those worked were people would, you know, would have sin in their lives and they would want to repent that sin. So they would go and they would work in these homes or they would give things to these homes. And these homes are often located inside the forest, kind of away from the village, away from the main part of, of a town. And you would have all sorts of people. You would have, again, people with dwarfism, people with Down syndrome, people with uh, Williams syndrome. You know, people with Williams syndrome, they have kind of a smallish head. They, their eyes are kind of large. They have huge vocabularies. They're able to really interact and communicate. They don't always know how to take care of themselves so great. They're very, can have a lot of like musical talents, a lot of singing, but their eyes are kind of set far apart and their ears are kind of set back. And this idea of these people living in the forest, well, these are where the mythologies of elves, dwarves, giants in the forest, that the forest was a spooky place. 
Well, it was also the savior for a lot of many, many people. And there's so much more to tell you about that, but because of lack of time, I'm going to go on. Now, in 1690, John Locke actually wrote an essay, and it was called An Essay Concerning Human Understanding, where he proclaimed for the first time that people are born without an innate understanding. They're born with what's called tabla rasa, or a blank slate. And that's the first time in our history that I was thought, you know what? Even though this person has a disability, they can learn. Now... I told you about the, the, the foundling homes. So there's a story of, of, of a kid named Victor. And Victor grew up in France. Um, he probably had mental retardation, possibly uh, autism. But he, was, he lived in the foundling home. And one of the things that people would do is they would kind of put supplies either in front of the homes or on the edge of the forest. And so what people would do is they would go and grab these supplies and go back to the houses. Well, one day, two aristocrats were on their horses and they saw uh, Victor run out of the forest, kind of looking disheveled, and run back in. And they made a bet to each other that they said that they could take any person and train them to be an aristocrat. So they went to the foundling home, they talked to the person running it, they adopted Victor, and they began giving him training. Now, first a, a doctor by the name of Etard worked with uh, uh, Victor, and he had started a school for, the, for deaf mutes in France, and he actually was one of the first people to start sign language. Um, and he worked with Victor for a while, he was given training, um, and they dressed him nicely. He was taught how to serve food. He was taught how to sit at a table. And they kind of uh, uh, carted him all over. They didn't kind of. They carted him all over Europe as a sideshow. And from the time he was 12 to about 15, um, he was a pretty popular show to go and see. You would go and see Victor, the feral child of Avion. And there's a book. The Feral Child of Avion, that you can purchase to see his whole, read his whole story. But people were entertained by him more than the fact that he had really become a aristocrat. Unfortunately, he had uh, more become just entertainment. And Etard actually opened up a school uh, for what we would call mentally retarded or intellectually um disabled youth and attempted to teach them new skills. Unfortunately for Victor, though, he uh, um, only lived to about 17. Um, he, after the, the aristocrats' bet was over, they basically said, well, I guess we weren't able to do it, and they just sent him back to the foundling home, and he actually died there a year or so later, um, and it's kind of unknown why. Um, there are mythologies that he just kind of died of a broken heart because he had so much excitement and then was kind of abandoned. And it's really important for us that work in this world to know that abandonment is very common for our kids, or I should say marginalization, not being part of society. And we, everything we do, we do to bring kids into society. So... 
You know, the American Association of Mental Retardation was founded in 1876, um, and that was for individuals that were had disabilities. And in 1892, there were about 28 or 30 centers that were opened across the United States. 19 were public and nine were private. And unfortunately, it was, you know, we always think, oh, the private schools were the best ones. Well, no, the private schools weren't the best ones. The private schools had many challenges because they would, you would drop off a kid at a private school. These were wealthy families. They didn't want to be associated with the kiddo and they would never see the kid again. But in the public settings, the person had the responsibility to come back and support their child and support the, the, the institution. Names have changed over the years. Classifications have changed. In the 50s, there was a man by the name of Barton Blatt, and he went into, on his summer vacation, he went into a residential treatment center, a mental asylum, and he took pictures. He had a camera in his hat, and he showed the world what people were dealing with. It really wasn't until, and nobody had seen things like that before, people lying in their own filth, people being locked away in, in buildings, people being undressed all day long because they weren't toilet trained and then being washed down at the end of the day. Just absolute treatment that is unacceptable. But it's unacceptable now. And why? Because of many things. But one of the things that happened was the Kennedys had a kid. And the Kennedys had a kid that had uh, cerebral palsy. And, And she had other issues too, some emotional issues. And they worked, they took her to the Krieger Institute which later became the Kennedy Krieger Institute, which was, is probably one of the biggest institutions around still today. Now, over the years, the Kennedy Institute uh, brought in many specialists and parents began to utilize the institution for research and for, to support them. And in the late 50s, a, or excuse me, the early 60s, a act called the Wyatt-Stickney Act began all of our special education supports. And because of a lack of time today, I'm, I, I'm not able to cover as much as I, I wanted to in regards to the history. I will pick up next week in discussing the history and, and kind of where we're at. But what the Wyatt-Stickney Act said is, hey, you know what? It's no longer cool just to clean people up. And to keep them fed, you got to give them education. You have to give them something to do to have a good life. You have to have a purposeful life and not something that you just set up for the individual so that you get through the day. It is so important to know that successes can happen in your life and that they only can happen through appropriate supports. Thus, when we started teaching the kids and specializing supports for them, they started doing better and doing well. We all have lots of challenges that we have to go through. We all feel that life can be difficult. But remember, on strategies and solutions, taking on the challenges, Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be a new future for you, the future that you dream of having in your life. We'll see you next week, and thank you so much for tuning in today.
Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.